a ransom. She continues, nearing the end. The start of Advent lays bare the world's pain, without which there would be no reason for God's coming. No reason for the angels singing. No reason. Hi, and welcome to this edition of the Redheaded Preacher podcast. My name is Richard Lanford. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. We are an open-end affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. This message comes from the fourth Sunday of Advent, December 20th, 2020. The passages, uh, as read by Marsha Hilliard, are from Psalm 89, selected verses, and Luke 1, 26 and following, which is the Annunciation to Mary by the angel Gabriel. The title of the message is Sacred Surrender, and I hope you will be able to surrender some time or attention, no matter where you are or what you're doing or whenever you hear this, to... uh, to listen to the message. I hope you find some inspiration from it. Our first reading is Psalm 89, verses 1 through 4, and then 19 through 36. This passage echoes the basis for what is called the Davidic covenant. The covenant God made to 2 Samuel that pledges there will always be a descendant of David on Israel's throne. This covenant later became part of Israel's hope for Messiah. I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth, I will proclaim you your faithfulness to all generations. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my servant David. I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. Then you spoke in a vision to your faithful one and said, I have set the crown up on one who is mighty. I have exalted the chosen from the people. I have found my servant David. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. My hand shall always remain with him. My arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name, his horn shall be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the river. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Here ends the reading from Psalm 89. Our second reading is the gospel lesson. 
It is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, commonly called the Annunciation to Mary. This passage comes after the story of her relative Elizabeth, the wife of the priest Zechariah. In her old age, Elizabeth has become miraculously pregnant with a child who will grow up to become John the Baptist. The reference to the sixth month means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let me be with you according to your word. The angel then departed. This ends the reading of the gospel and our scriptures for today's service. May God grant us a faithful and joyous understanding of this, God's holy word. Last week, while preparing for this sermon, I reached for all over the place, um, but I thought that between the pictures of the candles and this and stuff like that, I thought it was all really pretty. Yeah, and we were under an hour. Yep. I don't know how many people pay attention to that, but I think if somebody's thinking about watching YouTube, they might look at the time and say, it's too long. You know, we have consistently been between 54 and 57 minutes on every single video. That might be an average. I know there are some that are an hour or more. Nope. Not a single one of them has gone over an hour. I can, I guarantee you, because when I, when I export it and when it's all done and I open it up, I look right at the time and that includes the prelude and the announcements and everything. Not a single one of them since we started doing, since I started doing this has been over an hour. Not one. Including the baptism. Uh, well, I just remember seeing once, thought my eyes might, I don't know. I'm not prepared to have that conversation. <laughs> I shouldn't have said anything. Okay, are we running? Yeah, we're running. Go ahead. Three, two, one. Did you ever get a card 
or a text, a call or email that just hit the spot. Even if you did not know you had a spot. I'm about to share with you something that pretty much hit the spot for me. It's the United Church of Christ's daily devotional for November 30th. It's written by Rachel Heckenberg. She serves on the national staff of the UCC, is an author and blogger. What she wrote is called Rock Bottom. She begins by quoting Psalm 79's first two verses, which is in the lectionary readings for another lectionary year cycle. O God, the nations have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food. Then she writes, The bleakness of early Advent, these first few days when the lectionary readings are all doom and gloom, is kind of my favorite part of the season. The psalmist moans, the city is ruined, the holy places are wrecked. The prophet warns in Joel, the sun bleeds red, the moon hides its light. That's the good stuff. It's not that I love a grim worldview. It's not that I enjoy the torment of chaos. It's that I'm relieved when we name them aloud in church in that beloved community where we sometimes have the habit of proclaiming good news so loudly that pain and despair are shamed into silence. But oh, the alleviation and comfort that come when the church intentionally tunes its heart to the groaning, the anger, the fear, the devastation rack our daily lives. Look, God, we shout together with the psalmist, see how there is too much blood in the streets, too much blood and not enough justice. Wake up, church, we exhort one another. We have studied war to make a name for ourselves instead of studying peace to praise the name of God. Do not ignore the pain, we pray, of homes leveled and walls built, of creation poisoned and compassion mocked, of bodies extorted and healing withheld for ransom. She continues, nearing the end. The start of Advent lays bare the world's pain, without which there would be no reason for God's coming. No reason for the angels singing. No reason for prophets preaching. No reason for magi seeking. No reason for hoping and imagining and living toward a new world. Do you remember, if you were joining in a few months ago, where a lot of the action in the readings took place? Yes? Yes, the desert, the wilderness, where you have little in the way of resources, 
Lots of hot sun and sand, no clear direction or compass. And to hold on to faith in God, miracles had to keep happening for the people. Being in the desert is a tough place for you and me in our wildernesses of life, let alone for the Hebrews. It's not just individual either. It was not for the Hebrews, certainly. We are in some wildernesses as a country and as people who live on planet Earth. What Rachel Hackenberg writes of also seems like a desert, an unpleasant, stressful place which can find us boldly naming our need, dropping facades, and rediscovering our desperate thirst for God, and that is a good thing, a liberating thing. Well, we find the wilderness in Isaiah and Mark this morning, and both become places where something good is promised, even in the desert of agony or exile or destruction. In Mark especially, we find something in calling out the things that cause us pain, the systems or situations which perpetuate hunger, violence, income inequality, or spiritual emptiness. Enter John the Baptizer. He is brought to us as prophecy fulfillment. Elijah, as Jesus said, if you will receive him or if you will perceive it. He is a voice crying in the wilderness. So you, I, St. Peter's and the world are not alone in our noise and quiet of the desert. The gospel starts with the words, as we heard Barb read, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news or gospel is when John the Baptist arrives in deserts and begins preaching. That's the beginning of the good news. And what does he preach? Well, I cannot cover all his points or all the aspects of his points here, but you and I, We know this. John the baptizer appeared, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A baptism of repentance. A baptism of turning around, of turning to, of returning to the Lord our God. A baptism of turning away from the things, the histories and circumstances that break our hearts and that break people's minds, bodies, liberties, and spirits. A baptism where we, as Rachel celebrates happening in Advent, name the pain, the despair, the sin, division, and inequality in which we wander as individuals and as a society. As she put it, look, God, see how there is too much blood in the streets and not enough justice. We are not studying peace to surrender. She believed John the Baptist and Rachel both say we need to face the bad news and name it before good news really means anything. 
We need to face ourselves, for sometimes you or I or the Christian church are complicit in some of the evil that floats elusively yet harshly around us, our land and our world. The events and preaching of last summer, the teaching that went on when folks were listening with open minds, presented, among other things, the benefits of whiteness, the benefits white folks have in dealing with police, in going into stores, in being able to forget in this society our skin color, in our grandparents having had the advantage of people over people of color in mortgage applications, job interviews, job performance reviews, car loan interest rates, and acquiring generational wealth through mortgages to pass on to their kids. Well, a lot of us have only begun to be truly aware of that. We name it not as a sin, which white folks choose to do, but as a widespread situation of unfairness, yea, even injustice as it is played out, needing to be addressed and turned around to be just. For you and me who are white, just to be able to see these benefits, acknowledge them, and thereby learn more about what it's like being a person of color in the United States, affirmative action or not, is a big as those. There's a lot to learn about plans. Learning, too, probably will be as long as I live. Be a thief. Bits of whiteness, perhaps unnamed, white privilege, is not a sin. Whites today have come. was turning his life around. It is a situation, like what Rachel evoked, calling out for acknowledgement and then next steps forward, not on purpose, because you the desert, led by good news of what is fair, and he would resist. Then we can or don't. He came, it was hard at first, proclaiming a baptism of repentance because he had to, you know, Sins have to be named. Stop thinking about stealing anything altogether. He surrendered his thirst and habit of taking stuff that was not his. He surrendered it. He gave it over to God for God's help. And God worked through him then and ever since. Like Mary and others. Surrendering our self-will, a self-driven agenda or self-based orientation to living is how God works best through you and me and the church. I also believe that when we do let God call our shots and how we think about things, like being considerate of how people feel, whereas before there was no such consideration, or being awakened to the damage that others have experienced due to the unjust use of money and power by others and maybe by ourselves when we let God inspire our thinking and doing more than we do. Our lives are better directed. We are more helpful than we were. We find that we are more fulfilled. And that gives honor to God 
when we do as God asks us to do. I might not be so easily preaching this countercultural message if I did not believe what I think Mary knew and believed. Psalm 89. As, Mar- as Marcia read, I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. Okay, verse 1. We have steadfast love and faithfulness. It continues. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heaven. Steadfast love, faithfulness. There is a reason these are emphasized. This God whom we open ourselves to is that, a God of steadfast love and faithfulness which God remains even when you or I fall away and are unloving or unfaithful. We are to be holy as God is holy, but even when we fail, as humans do, God does not stop loving us or being faithful to us. This is a God we can give ourselves 100% to. A God who earns our trust, especially in the person and work of Jesus, whose birth, whose initiative in coming to save us shows God's character. As God seeks you and me to be God-oriented, Christ-centered, God is other-centered, us-centered, it would seem. We give ourselves over to the God We surrender ourselves to the plans of the God who comes in love to find us. That's why Gabriel came to Mary, and she was accepting of the sovereignty of not her, not the sovereignty of Mary, but of the God of steadfast love and faithfulness. In closing, and being very aware of the country's health crisis, as well as the vaccines, aware of the unemployment, increasing hunger, joblessness, political fears, and climate change. How do you and I surrender to God's will without having a Gabriel to pay us a visit and give us some specifics? How do we let go and let God when it comes to the operating system of our lives? Well, although we may not have Gabriel paying us a visit, we are not without a lot of guidance. We know God's will in general because Jesus singled out the two greatest commandments. We know about the Big Ten. We know what the Lord requires, O mortals, and what does the Lord require of us but to do justice, love, kindness, and walk humbly with our God. We have the Sermon on the Mount. We have Proverbs. We have Jesus' parables. We have more scripture and the examples of faithful family and friends, if not also an occasional enemy who have handed already the steering wheel over, their steering wheel over, to the loving, powerful, and faithful Lord of heaven and earth. That's the same one, by the way, 
who came to us vulnerable, dependent as the baby boy Jesus. So we are not left with the great tabula rasa when we say, oh God, I'm surrendering, now what do I do? When you and I sense God calling us to follow God's direction, and we know that God often works through other people, so that may be how we sense God calling us to follow a direction. When you and I sense God calling us to follow God's direction, may you and I blessedly be empowered by the Holy Spirit to join selfless Mary and affirm that we also are servants, servants of the Lord. Let it be unto us according to God's word. Amen. This concludes our podcast for this Sunday in Advent. I believe it is our plan to record and put out there when we can. Vacation times may uh, delay this, but uh, I'll seek to um, record the message, not all the readings, from Christmas Eve, which will be Thursday, December 24th at St. Peter's and everywhere, <laughs> um, and post that. For, for December 27th, um, there will not be a full worship service. Uh, in fact, I just plan on putting up on YouTube a, a brief reflection or meditation, uh, probably no more than that. And uh, we'll see about putting that up on the podcast. But again, there are vacation um, challenges, so it may be delayed. So please be patient if you would be looking forward to that. Thank you again for listening. We wish you from St. Peter's a blessed Christmas and Christmas tide and a healthy 2021. God bless you and God bless your week.